And um, that song, Jesus, Thank You, very simple song, wasn't it? I think that's maybe the second time I've ever sung that. But uh, um, really, I'm hoping and praying that out of today's sermon, that would be our attitude. Before we dive into the New Testament, I want to... um, I'd, I'd like to kind of put in your in your heart a, a, a picture or a vision that Ezekiel had. So Ezekiel 37, you don't have to turn there. You can listen if you'd like. But um, beautiful vision, Ezekiel 37. And we're going to read the first, uh, I believe, 10 verses as well. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. This is Ezekiel talking. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So these were very dead bones. Verse 3, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's answer. That's what he says. And I answered him, O Lord God, you know. That's just astounding. I would have went, uh-uh. But Ezekiel He deferred to the Lord in humility. Verse 4, Then he, God, said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and their flesh had come upon them, and, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he, this is God, said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And, And so I prophesied. As he commanded me, And the breath came into them. And they lived, and they stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. I love that picture. Tuck that in your brain. Hide that in your heart as we 
dig into Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just an Elroy. You're God. And I have the incredible privilege to open up your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Father, may it not be, may it be very clear that we behold you. We've already sang that. May we see you this morning. May we, be, may we marvel at who you are and what you've done. Would you speak to us, please? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Just going to really simply divide this little ten verses into two sections. One is bad news and one is good news. And we'll start with the bad news because that's where Paul starts. And he begins with the word and. You were dead. The word and means there's a, it's connected to what's happened already. And so what has happened? Let's remind everyone what's happened. The Apostle Paul's in prison, probably about six, seven years after he planted the church, maybe a decade. Okay? He's, he's in prison, and, and he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And so the church in Ephesus most likely did not all meet in at 1638 30th Avenue in, in the city of Ephesus. It most likely met in house churches all around the city. And so this letter was destined for all of those house churches. And, and as Paul is in prison, he begins his letter by just thanking Jesus, as we sang, for everything Jesus gave them. And then he moves into a prayer, a selfless prayer, for the church in Ephesus that they may understand the things that he thanked Jesus for. And now in chapter 2, he moves in a different direction and, and he, he begins to kind of unpack that power that he wants these under, people to understand. Okay, you following? So end, we're connecting to the past. And then he says, you... We're dead. Literally in the, uh, in the, in the Greek, it's, there's an emphasis there. He says, you, you were. He almost, says, he almost stutters. It says it twice. Who's the you? Well, we already said the church in Ephesus. Or the saints in Ephesus, the holy ones. Or if we go to verse 13 of chapter 1. It's the ones in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel. So he says, you, the, the church in Ephesus, you, the ones who heard the gospel and believed. Paul's talking to them. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What is this walking dead? It's really what it is. He says, you were dead, and then he says, in which you once walked. I love roses. My mom loved roses, and I think I love roses for that reason. And Lynn's come to love roses because I keep giving them to her. 
And, but there's a problem with roses. They die. Yeah, you give your wife a rose and then it's dead in a week and you spent three bucks on that rose. What's the problem with what I just said? The rose dies? Actually, it was dead when I gave it to her, wasn't it? I gave her a dead rose. Because it was cut off from its root. It was cut off from the plant. And when we look at this text, we're going to begin to understand, and when we look at this book, we're going to begin to understand that there's a deadness because we've been cut off from our root, our source. We've been cut off from our relationship with God. And you were dead, and then he, then he unpacks it in the trespasses and sins. And those two words are very closely linked. They're synonyms, but they're slightly different. One is trespass, I've crossed the line, and the other is a sin, I've, I haven't quite measured up. So he kind of covers the whole gamut. I haven't done what I'm supposed to do, and I've done maybe too much. Apostle Paul says you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And, and, and as we're going to see a little later, he's connecting that back all the way to the Old Testament, all the way back to Adam. We've been cut off. And so, yes, there's a semblance so that we look alive and we're walking and we're, we're active, but we're walking dead. Now, Paul doesn't just stop there with the bad news. He continues to carry on. He says, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. And that word following, uh, uh, some say according to, or some would say under the control of. And so we're dead, but we're also enslaved. Enslaved in this way, we're, we're following the course of this world. The, the, Paul says you were, you were on your merry way, doing your merry thing, uh, completely the, the, the system of the world oblivious to the fact that there is a God. You might have said there was a God, but there was this, you're doing your own thing, doing it your own way. Following the prince of the power of the air, he's speaking there of the devil himself. Peter tells us that the devil's like a, a roaring lion seeking, seeking whom to he can devour. He goes on, he says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, somehow this, this, this devil has some control over these church in Ephesus, or had, because this is all past tense. And then verse 3, the Apostle Paul, who was a good Jew, who believed in God, who created the heavens and the universe, actually includes himself in this, and he says, among whom we all once lived. All of us. In the passions of our flesh, and carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. So the Apostle Paul says, you guys, you were dead, and you were enslaved by the world, by the devil, and by your own desires. Three things.
And then he says, I'm included in this mess. So he's not standing above them thinking he's better than them. He's standing with them and saying, that was me as well. Dead, enslaved. And then he says, condemned. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What does he mean by that? We're by nature. In Galatians, I believe it's chapter 2, Paul uses that exact word when he's referring to uh, being Jews by birth. And so literally he could say, and you were by birth children of wrath. What does he mean by children of wrath? If you look at the entirety of Scripture, there's this understanding that that God is a God who is just and holy. And He will punish sin. And look at the book of Romans. We unpack the book of Romans, and particularly chapter 1. We are under God's wrath, present tense, but there is a wrath to come. Our world has kind of shut off that whole concept of coming judgment, but there is coming judgment. And the Apostle Paul says, you were children of wrath. You should have expected God's wrath. And he includes all of humanity in that picture. This is bad news. This is like Ezekiel walking through the valley and he's walking among some very dead bones. And God says, can these bones live? Now, that's why I love this good book. It doesn't just gloss over our condition. The good book tells us our condition. And he's like a good doctor who's very frank and says, this is your problem, and this is what it's going to take to heal. And so God very clearly says, we are in a bad situation. The church in Ephesus, they were in a bad situation. In fact, he says, all humanity is in a bad situation. And Paul says, I once was in a bad situation. And then verse 4, two words, but God. If you underline in your book, those are two good words to underline. Those are words of grace, but God. He begins by, by explaining God's attributes, not all of them, but certainly some of them. But God, being rich in mercy. He didn't just simply say, but God is merciful. He says, but God is rich in mercy. He's the Bill Gates of mercy. And just in case we don't get it, because of the great love, with which he loved us. He's redundant there, but uh, be, he's rich in mercy. He's, 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 he's showering 
kindness upon us that we don't deserve because He's a God of great love. Later, He'll talk about His grace, His kindness. This is incredible. We just said, thank you, Jesus. We sung about that. Because of what He's done. In essence, this is what Paul, he wants this church to remember. If we want to love Jesus, we need to know what he's done for us. We need to understand who we are without him, and then we need to understand what he's done for us. And and when we get that, it's like, whoa! Peter told me this morning, he says, the Calgary Highlanders were the ones who came and freed them. He says, we're very thankful for them. This is many years later, and he's still talking about that. Now, he doesn't just start with God's attributes. He mentions God's actions. What has God done? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. It just, he has to repeat himself, verse 5, just in case we didn't get it, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. Or as he'll say later, by grace you have been saved. He has saved us. Now remember, these are the people who heard this message about how Jesus died, how he rose from the dead, how he ascended into heaven, and and why he did it. He did it for these people who were enemies of him, who were expected and, and should deserve the wrath of God. They had heard that message and they believed, they put their trust and confidence in that message and and in doing so they were made alive they were saved that's the language of the text and and that word saved is in the it's in the perfect tense in the original the the idea there is it's 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 rooted in the past There's, there's a history there something happened in in the past but the effects are still going on now. What are those effects? We carry on with the text. Verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that when Jesus rose from the grave... And when he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, that past event, for those of us who put our trust and faith in this Jesus, those realities are our realities, present tense. Now, my brain is not that big to grasp this. It's, it's a mystery that is so profound we will never in our entire life, and I think it would take all eternity to exhaust the riches of these truths. And I think that's why Paul prays last week, God, would you open the eyes of the people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, so they may, the eyes of their heart that may be illuminated or enlightened 
I think Paul's praying for us. I think that's how we ought to pray for each other. That we would somehow grasp this and, and grasp the enormity of this and the kindness of this and the goodness of this and, and, and well verse 7 he, he mentions God's attributes he mentions God's actions but then he points ahead well why did God do this in verse 7 he tells us why God did this so that in the coming ages after this short little blip of a life is gone. And it is short. It doesn't matter if you're, you live to be 110. It is still short in light of eternity. He says in the coming ages, the reason God did this is so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches. And, and Paul, he, he's like he's heaping adjectives to describe his riches the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus when 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 in the in eternity we'll be singing that song like crazy thank you Jesus we'll be so overwhelmed because we'll we'll understand clearly what has transpired and sometime we're kind of tone deaf now we we don't quite get it And then Paul goes on, and I love what he does in verses 8 through 10. He wants us to make sure and understand that this is not our doing. All this hasn't happened because we're pretty good. Or because we grew up in a church, or because we go to church, or because we've opened our wallet and given money to the church, or we've done kind things to our neighbor, or, you know, we're pretty good people. We're not Hitler. Actually, we're better than that guy across the street. But this doesn't happen because of that. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is, this is grace. God, God's kindness upon us. He just, he just did because he, he just did because he did. He And it's through faith. It's simply by putting our confidence and our trust in Him. It's by turning to Him. It's not by me doing good things. It's by me simply going, Lord, I, I, thank You. I'm, I, I, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Thank You for what You've done. Forgive me. I, I trust You. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Okay, so he's just trying to hammer it home. Guys, you didn't have nothing to do with this. This is not your own doing. All right, it's not because you've given your life to being a pastor. He goes on. It's the gift of God. And all right, it's not a result of works. Not because of all the good things you've done. There's not enough of them. So that no one may boast. So when we're in the ages to come, when we're 
when we're, when we're uh, being shown the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards, towards us in Christ Jesus, when we're overwhelmed by what he's done in the future, we'll, we'll look back and go, I can't boast. I didn't do anything. I, this, is, this is, but God, God did this. And then verse 10, which even clarifies it even stronger. But this isn't our doing, for we are his workmanship. This is the language of God saying, I'm the painter, and you are my painting. This is the language of God saying, I'm the sculptor, and you are my sculpture. And, and then he, he, he makes sure we understand it again. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God is saying, this is what I've done. You don't deserve it, but this is what I've done. We can... Pull back from these ten verses and simply say this is the theme of what Paul's saying. Really, really quickly. We were dead in our sins, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. What's the last phrase? This is where I want to end together with Christ. It's because of what Christ has done. It's because of my union with Christ. It's because of my, when I turn to Him in faith, He, he, he grafts me back. He takes this, this rose that has been wilting and He grafts me back into the plant and we start to come to life again. And that's what Paul's doing. That's what Paul is saying has happened to you as a church in Ephesus. That's what Paul is saying to us as a body in here in Calgary. What do we do with this? There's so many different ways. One, humility. Christian should be the last person to be arrogant or proud because it's grace. It's grace. What should we do with this? We should pause and remember what he's done. That's what we do around the table and say thank you. What ought we to do with this? We should sing to praise him. What, what, what ought we to do with this? Well, I think we're going to hear from Ebenezer and we're going to hear from Isaiah. They're going to follow him in obedience. They have followed him in obedience. They're going to publicly proclaim his name. Two very different traditions, but the same idea. I think what we should do with this is to say, Father... Would you open the eyes of our heart that it, that it might be enlightened so that we might understand what you've done? 
and grow in your incredible, just amazed at your incredible grace. Amazing grace. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many more treasures in this ten verses. We haven't even really grasped them. And Father, it's probably going to take eternity for us to understand them. But Father, with increasing measure, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would grow in our awareness of what you've done, be amazed at what you've done, overwhelmed. Father, if there's anyone in this room who, who, who doesn't actually know you, I pray, Father, that you'd open the eyes of their heart, that they might see you and, and see what you've done and, and, and turn to you in repentance and faith and begin this journey of life together with you. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to call on the elders of Calgary Community